guys i'm chris hey everybody i'm robert and we're the film flamers here to talk about my favorite christmas movie of all time and the first horror movie i ever saw in the theater gremlins gremlins <laughs> that fine family violent film gremlins is a 1984 american horror comedy film directed by joe dante and written by christopher columbus with steven spielberg serving as executive producer the score was composed by jerry goldsmith and it stars zach galligan phoebe cates dante mainstay dick miller hottie axton and polly holiday along with Corey feldman and howie mandel as the voice of gizmo the main mogwai character the story follows a young man who receives a strange creature as a pet which then spawns other creatures who transform into small destructive aggressive monsters that all wreak havoc on a small town on christmas eve the film draws inspiration from folkloric legends of mischievous creatures that caused malfunctions in the British Royal Air Force during World War II. Gremlins was originally criticized for being too violent for the targeted audience, and along with movies like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, as well as Poltergeist, led to a change in the MPAA rating system and the creation of the PG-13 rating. We finally get to revisit this topic of conversation. <laughs> I think that was in our first outtakes or second outtakes or something, <laughs> where I had this false anecdote about Poltergeist, but yeah, it's actually part of that lineage. It was still an interesting anecdote nonetheless okay listeners to understand one only has to listen this is gremlins yeah 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 <laughs> super magic i bet you could lift the entire soundtrack for this and replace it with the uh, uh exorcist 2 <laughs> <laughs> soundtrack and it would work perfectly just gremlins doing it in the background <laughs> oh my god someone needs to do that steven spielberg presents gremlins billy pelser has a nice home billy is that you yeah ma it's me a nice job a nice girl if you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're going to like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're going to have to open it now. It won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever. Mischievous. Come on here. I'm dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. They've been here too. Billy, what are these things? Where did they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know. But in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you.
Struggling inventor Randall Peltzer, played by Hoyt Axton, visits a Chinatown antique store, hoping to find a Christmas present for his son Billy, played by Zach Galligan. Inside, Randall encounters a small, furry creature called a mogwai. The owner, Mr. Wing, refuses to sell Randall the creature, but his grandson secretly overrules him, warning Randall to remember three important rules. Do not expose the mogwai to light, especially sunlight, which will kill it. Do not get it wet, and above all, never feed it after midnight. Randall returns home to Kingston Falls, where he gives the mogwai to Billy as a pet. Billy works in the local bank, but fears that his dog Barney will be put down by the elderly miser Mrs. Deagle, played by Polly Holiday. Randall names the mogwai Gizmo, explains the three rules he was told, and Billy makes sure to treat him well. When Billy's young friend Pete, played by Corey Feldman, accidentally spills water over Gizmo, five more mogwai spawn from his back, a more troublemaking sort led by the aggressive Stripe, named after the tuft of fur on his head. Billy shows one of the mogwai to his former science teachers, Mr. Hansen, spawning another mogwai on whom Hansen experiments. Back at home, Stripe and his fellow Mogwai trick Billy into feeding them after midnight by severing the power cord to his bedside clock. They form cocoons, as does Hansen's Mogwai, which soon hatch, and they emerge as mischievous reptilian monsters known as Gremlins, who then torture Gizmo and attack Billy's mother, Lynn, played by Francis Lee McCain, while Hansen is killed by his Gremlin. Lynn and Billy are able to kill off the Gremlins, except for Stripe, who escapes to a local YMCA. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> it's a safe space. He likes to stay at the YMCA. There, Stripe jumps into a swimming pool, spawning an army of gremlins who wreak havoc in Kingston Falls. Many people are injured or outright killed by the gremlins' rampage, including Mrs. Deagle. As Billy rescues his girlfriend, Kate Berenger, played by Phoebe Cates, they hide in the now-abandoned bank where Kate reveals to Billy and Gizmo why she hates Christmas. When she was nine years old, her father went missing on Christmas Eve and didn't come home on Christmas Day either. Several days later, he was found dead in their chimney while dressed as Santa Claus. Planning to surprise her and her mother, he had accidentally slipped and broken his neck while climbing down the chimney. Still suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because of the event, Kate confesses that this is how she discovered the truth about Santa Claus. It's like a two-second part of the movie, and it's a whole paragraph in my life. Well, I want to see that movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> you need to do a prequel. Billy and Kate discovered that the town has fallen silent, and the gremlins are watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the local theater. And they love it. They set off an explosion, killing all the gremlins except for Stripe, who left to obtain more candy at a Montgomery Ward store across the street. It's a blast from the past. As morning approaches, Billy chases Stripe into the store, where Stripe attempts to use a water fountain to spawn more gremlins. Gizmo opens a skylight, exposing Stripe to sunlight, killing him. Grossly, too. Afterwards, Mr. Wing arrives to retrieve Gizmo, criticizing the Peltzer's carelessness, and states that Western society cannot responsibly care for a mogwai yet. However, as he turns to leave, Gizmo, having bonded with Billy, bids him goodbye. Bye, Billy. So sad. <laughs> a touched Mr. Wing then concedes that Billy alone may be ready one day and promises that until then, Gizmo will be waiting. The end? No. 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 Because <laughs> we're talking about Gremlins 2, That's the new right. batch, next week. Gremlins was released on June 8th, 1984, the same day as Ivan Reitman's Ghostbusters. 
Gremlins earned the number two spot at the box office with an opening weekend total of $12.5 million, only a million less than Ghostbusters. Other films in the top ten that weekend included Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Romancing the Stone, Star Trek Three, and Police Academy. Oh my god, you just couldn't go wrong. I know, all classics. What a good time to be alive. <laughs> it would eventually become the fourth highest grossing film that year. The movie also gained a very large worldwide audience, with Dante and company changing aspects of the movie to fit regional tastes. Many question the summer release date as the movie is set during Christmas, causing some to argue that a Christmas release date would have been more appropriate. The film was re-released in August of 1985 and again in 2019. Today, the film has grossed more than $212 million against a reported budget of only $11 million. That's quite a bit of bank. Mm-hmm. Gremlins holds an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh, while the audience score sits at 78%. The site's consensus reads, Whether you choose to see it as a statement on consumer culture or simply a special effects-heavy popcorn flick, Gremlins is a minor classic. A minor classic. Fuck you, Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Minor. Roger Ebert approved of the film, giving it 3 out of 4 stars. His counterpart, Gene Siskel, gave it 3.5 out of 4, calling it a wickedly funny and slightly sick ride. He also wrote, It's an original work. We're aware at every moment that someone is trying to entertain us. Playfulness abounds. Oh, finally he says something nice about a horror movie. Vincent Canby, over at the New York Times, was more mixed in his critique, writing that the film is far more interested in showing off its knowledge of movie lore and making random jokes and providing consistent entertainment. Unfortunately, it's funniest when being most nasty. Leonard Malton definitely disapproved of the film. On Entertainment Tonight, he called Gremlins icky and gross. Malton famously makes a cameo in the sequel and is strangled by Gremlins. When did you graduate from uh, elementary school? <laughs> it's icky and gross. <laughs> I didn't like Gremlins. It's nasty. <laughs> I love that he made a cameo in the sequel and strangled. <laughs> it's funny. I like that part. <laughs> so we do have a lot of accolades and legacy, or at least some, right? It's the Saturn Awards. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Dick Miller, Best Young Actor for Corey Feldman, interestingly, uh, Best Writing and Best Makeup, but it won for Best Horror Film, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress for Polly Holiday, and of course, Best Music for Jerry Goldsmith, along with Best Special Effects. A huge marketing campaign was created for the film, and a flurry of products hit store shelves, including toys, games, novels, dolls, trading cards, and breakfast cereals. A plush gizmo was one of the hottest items during the holiday season of 1984. The film's popularity has not waned since the early 80s. Nintendo released a Game Boy Color game in 2001, and an expansion pack for LEGO Dimensions was released in 2016. This pack features Gizmo and Stripe as playable characters, which Howie Mandel reprised his role as the voice of Gizmo. Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, and Francis Lee McCain also lent their voices. Interesting. Mm -hmm. A sequel, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, was released in 1990, but the original led to a wide variety of small, mischievous creature features like critters, ghoulies, troll, hobgoblins, and munchies. (laughs) At all, really. I mean, like, a whole bunch of these movies came out after this. But it also wasn't the first. No. Creature film, you know? no, I mean, there's a lot from like the 70s, too. yeah, but very original, you know. So, do you want to talk about this cast a little bit? Yeah, I do. I like this cast. I feel like it's mostly made of relatively unknowns as far as the main roles, but then s- surrounded by all these like industry greats and character actors. Yeah, and the thing is, is that like I don't. I recognize some of these actors from other things. I just couldn't even tell you where, though. You know, yeah. I know that some of the, the the older actors are famous in their own right, but um, Hoyt like, Axton, yeah, 
Francis Lee McCain. I did a lot of TV work. Polly Holiday for sure. Yeah, yeah. She was on what? Like a TV show at the time called Alice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was. She has a very distinct looking face. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the main actor in this movie is Zach Galligan, who played Billy Peltzer, sort of our hero. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Zach Galligan. I like, I mean, I like him from Gremlins, you know, and uh, he's also in Waxwork, which is one of my favorite horror movies. But outside of those, like, I don't remember seeing him a whole lot of other places. Gremlins 2. <laughs> Gremlins 2, right. <laughs> and he's always talking about Gremlins 3, you know, which may or may not ever happen. But, but he still looks good. Yeah, he looks like he hasn't aged, really. Yeah. So, so I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why he wasn't a bigger star, because I felt like he did a really good job. It was a classic, you know, 80s, you know, teenage hero. And I, I don't understand why he wasn't in more after that. I'm not sure. He's fairly vocal in the horror community online. I know that a lot of other podcasts have interviewed him. I think that he's, you know, he's not reticent to come on to podcasts and talk about his work. You know what I mean? Okay. So well, maybe, maybe someday we'll reach out to Zach. <laughs> if, if you're listening, Zach Galligan. Or we can write a script for Gremlins 3. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully better than one they already have. I don't know. Don't ruin it, guys. I'm sure we'll be talking about more legacy when we talk Gremlins too, because there's a lot of shit that's in the works for Gremlins. Oh, there is? Yeah, tons. Uh, the other lead role is played by Phoebe Cates. She plays Kate Berenger, sort of his girlfriend. And, of course, she's um, a little bit more prolific, I would say, than Zach Galligan. She was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. She's that, that one very famous scene where she's climbing out of the swimming pool, right? In her bikini or topless. I can't even remember at this point. I've never seen it. Oh, you don't have to. <laughs> it's okay. Fucking Cameron Crowe. I don't know. Uh, I think you wrote it. But <clears throat> anyway, yeah, Phoebe Cates had a, a larger career. She had a lot of TV work. I've seen her around. You know what I mean? She's just, she's super recognizable anyway. I don't know that she's aged really well, though. But uh, well, who does really? I mean, I'm not. <laughs> she still looks better than me. So, <laughs> so we didn't actually want to talk about really much about the story as far as like walking through it because it's fairly linear, right? It's very high concept and there's not really much that deviates from the straight line of, you know, finding Mogwai, getting Mogwai, you know, the accident happens and then fuckery happens and that's it basically, right? We have one little aside with Phoebe Cates' character about how she hates Christmas. And that might be the only thing outside of like, I don't know, responsible pet ownership, you know, that this movie has to say. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to. No, it's very, very linear. It has a really good pace to it, right? I I never feel bored when watching Gremlins. And I've seen this movie. I watch it every year at Christmas time. You know what I mean? So I've seen it at least, I don't know. And it's been on our docket to cover on Christmas ever since our podcast began, but we kept like knocking it out for other things. I think the first year being Krampus. Yep. And then we did, you know, Black uh, Christmas. Black Christmas. It just, here's the thing. As much as I love Gremlins, I don't know that there's a whole lot to really say about it. You know, it's not, it's not a very deep movie. There's not a whole lot of meaning behind what they say. And when they do try to have meaning, they're pretty upfront about it. You know, it's like a really extended high budget Twilight Zone or X-Files episode or something, but it's a lot more fun, you know? And as fun as it is, it doesn't need to deviate, right? If it wasn't as fun, then it would be kind of a a snooze fest. And I think the thing that really separates this from other small creature movies, number one is Joe Dante, right? Which we've talked about Dante and his career a little bit when we covered The Howling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I really like Joe Dante. I think that Joe Dante's at his best when he's being a little goofy, right? And a lot of his movies are kind of goofy, right? We have things like Piranha, 
which is super tongue in cheek and a Corman kind of feature. We sure. have, you know, the howling, which is kind of funny and the burbs, you know, did he come out of the Corman group? Yeah. He was from the Corman school of directing. Okay. So yeah. He works with that James Cameron and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so gremlins is a comedy, right? And at its very core, you know, and it makes me laugh. Right. But it also has some really horrific moments to it. And it is, it is kind of violent for something that's geared toward children. Oh, but it could have been so much worse. It could have, and maybe should have, you know, well, I mean, like we'll get into that, ramp it up just a little bit. Good. So I don't know if some of these deleted scenes are actually available, but I was looking through IMDB at the quotes. Right. And I know fucking gremlins like by heart, I can say it. Yeah. And I was looking at some of these quotes and I was like, what the hell is that? Like, that's not from the movie. There were a whole like conversations. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Are there deleted scenes that I have not seen? Hmm. And that makes me. Do you ever, I mean, obviously you own this on probably several different formats. Do you watch the deleted scenes? Like, have you? There are no deleted scenes on my Blu-ray. Yeah. So I think there's a reason behind that and we'll get to it. Okay, good. Because I think there's a little bit of politicalness here. Obviously, we already mentioned that there was kind of a ratings controversy, right? That's right. It was a little too dark, a little too, you know, uh, violent for that PG rating. And so literally within like two or three months of this release, they created the PG-13 rating, you know, based on things like Poltergeist and Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. And and even later uh, in the 90, like 92, I, I just watched Batman Returns last night and that had a controversy about it because it was everyone took their kids to it and it was really dark and like people are shot batman's killing people you know like Mm -hmm. and yet there's a tongue-in-cheek to it there's a very like pop you know a pulp fiction kind of aspect to it you know but it wasn't enough and so a lot of moms and parents were like complaining that even pg-13 wasn't really like the full story but you know i'm thinking back to indiana jones and the temple of doom and i don't I don't, maybe I'm just like that desensitized to violence, but I don't remember that movie being that violent. Well, there's one scene in particular, right? Um, and something else big, right? So there's one scene in particular where he rips a, a heart out of someone yeah. and has it beating. You know, that's the biggest gore that children have seen up until that point. I was one of those people. I hadn't seen gore like that until then. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, oh, Indiana Jones as a genre almost is safe for you to see, right? People aren't doing that in Star Wars. You don't see guts and, and viscera, you know? Versus also that whole area was basically child soldiers, you know, child slaves. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And there's a the whole thing about that and children dying. So themes. Yes. Yeah. So kind of thematic, which is a little bit to me, like as a child, I'm like, wow, with with the heart thing, right? I'm not traumatized. I'm more traumatized or internalized things that are a little bit more like themes where there's like children dying and shit. But even then, I think adults take that a lot more seriously than the kids do. And I get it that Gremlins has kind of a violent streak through parts of it, right? But it's not gory. I mean, even the deaths are kind of silly, right? Like Mrs. Deagle you know, flying out the window on her electric chair, right? Is is funny. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's because the gremlins themselves look scary, right? And I know like during the marketing campaign for this movie, they showed Mogwise in the TV spots, right? But no one showed the gremlins. And so Really? Yeah. And they so, wanted to keep it close to the chest. Right. For a reveal. Okay. And so I know that parents were taking their kids to see this movie because I was one of them. You know, I saw this movie in 1984. I was five years old. And like, I, I wasn't scared by it, but I was already watching some really dark shit when I was a kid. I can handle it, you know? And I can see how kids would be scared, but I don't know that this movie deserves a PG-13 rating. So I don't know if people are so Today, like, no. Yeah, I no. There's no Back way in the then, world. Back then, yes. Today, no. So, I mean, I don't know, but 
I mean, I wasn't frightened. I did. I was supposed to see this movie earlier than I did. It's just a random fucking anecdote, I guess. My parents bought me these little plastic action figures of gremlins. And I they went to see the movie first to make sure I was okay for me. And they told me that one of the gremlins dies in a microwave. And so they were out one night and I had a babysitter over and she let me melt my gremlins in the microwave and it ruined it. <laughs> and so I had to wait several months to go see gremlins because I was being punished. <sighs> memories well let's like zoom out a little bit and talk about the the background of gremlins a little bit right so obviously the notion of gremlins was first conceived during world war ii when mechanical failures in raf aircraft were jokingly blamed on small monsters and uh, the term gremlins also entered popular culture as a children's as the children's author and raf pilot Rawl Dahl published a book called The Gremlins in 1943 and I didn't realize that. I'd heard right. of like the big like the the small giant or whatever it was and like BFG. The, the BFG, right, which Spielberg also did uh recently and a, and a number of other stories which I loved, right? Um Raw Dahl is is a wonderful and prolific children's author, right? I love Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Or Charlie is his book is called. Yeah. And so uh but he he wrote a book on it called The Gremlins in 1943 oh and uh, Walt Disney actually considered making a film out of it. Uh, a Bugs Bunny cartoon of the era, Falling Hair, has him battling a gremlin on an airplane, famously. And Joe Dante had read The, the Gremlins by Roald Dahl and said that the book was, you know, had at least some influence on the film. And in 1983, Dante publicly distanced his work from earlier films, explaining, Our gremlins are somewhat different. They're sort of green and they have big mouths and they smile a lot and they do incredibly, really nasty things to people and enjoy it all the while. <laughs> They really do, though. So these gremlins seem to get so much pleasure in, like, torturing people and destroying property. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just that that scene alone where they hatch out of the cocoon. This is probably the best scene in the movie, in my opinion. <laughs> they hatch out of the cocoon, and Billy's mom is just, like, picking them off one by one, right? She, like... Puts one up in a blender and there's like green slime going everywhere. She explodes one in a microwave, right? She stabs one to death because it's like hurling plates at her and shit like that. It's just a really intense, very good scene. Probably the scariest moment. In it kind of reminded me of Peter Jackson's movie, like Dead, dead, alive, dead alive. Yes. Where it's just like putting the baby, in, <laughs> the zombie baby in the fucking blender. <laughs> a gross movie. So and then like Billy comes in and sort of whacks one's head off. Right. So it seems like they're really easy to kill, you know, at least. But yeah, I don't know. But I mean, the problem is they are legion. They are legion and they can (laughs) become more legion, you know, by jumping into the YMCA pool, whatever. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like they are like laughing the whole time that they're like destroying things. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is sort of sort of escape. You know what I mean? If you ever wanted to like destroy property, just watch Gremlins and get it out of your system. Yeah. Well, the story of Gremlins was conceived by Chris Columbus, of course, um, who started off as obviously a writer, but ended up being, you know, a big uh, director himself doing like Harry Potter, for instance, Mm -hmm. the first one. Uh, I think actually the first two or three, maybe. I think so. But um, as Columbus explained, his inspiration came from his loft when at night, what sounded like a platoon of mice would come out and he'd hear them skittering around in the blackness and it was really creepy. He then wrote the original screenplay as a spec script to show potential employers that he had writing abilities. And the story was not actually intended to be filmed until Steven Spielberg took an interest in it and uh, basically wanted to turn it into a film. And as Spielberg explained, it's one of the most original things I've come across in many years, which is why I bought it. And this is post E.T., 
correct? Yeah. Well, right. yeah, because you see on the toy shelves. Right. E.T. You're in right. that store, there's E.T. on the, you know. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I feel like that man would see a script like this and he was like, oh, remember all those plush E.T. dolls we sold? Let's just do it again. Steven Spielberg. Yep. I mean, he knows how to sell shit. And after deciding to executive produce the film, Spielberg chose Dante as his director because of his experience with horror comedy, like Dante had previously directed The Howling, obviously, in 1981. However, in the time between The Howling and um, the offer to film Gremlins, he had experienced kind of a lull in his career, so he was kind of, like, ready. Yeah, and I, I like Dante a lot. I think I've probably already said that on this particular episode, but he did... There, there are lulls in his career. He'll make movies that are really, really good. He'll go several years and then he'll make another really good movie, uh-huh. you know, so, which is good. I like it when directors do that. You can be prolific. Versus not, like Ridley Scott, which is like pumping out two movies a year. Work. Yeah. You know, and I most mean, of them are bad at this point. Yeah. Terrible. I was just having a conversation with another friend about Ridley Scott <laughs> and uh, we also agreed that he needs to be stopped. <laughs> So. Are they terrible though? I mean, or just people who aren't, aren't watching them? You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I don't know that. Yeah, I haven't seen the the last duel or whatever it is. I haven't either. It doesn't really pique my interest. I do want to see House of Gucci like pretty badly, but I hear that it's all over the place, campy, you know. And like I don't, I'm not sure that's what Dante. I'm not Dante. I'm not sure that's what Scott intended. But we're not even talking about really Scott. Really well, I feel like some people are saying it becomes a parody of itself almost. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, The Howling was a good movie. I feel like it was well-received. It certainly won Saturn Awards, and people took notice of the special effects, and I think maybe that was what did it. Well, right? he's a very good technical director. He could tell a story. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he it was a success, and he's used to, you know, having creature effects, you know, and what that's like to direct a larger movie with a lot of, you know, effects-ridden stuff, you know, and what those wait times are like and what that prep is like and everything else. And so, of course, he would handpick someone that could do that. Yeah, and that's that's good. It's true, you know, and, and Dante is really good at that. He works well with, with creatures. So, yeah, perfect. Plus, he had a lighter side to him versus, like, if Spielberg had chosen, like, Toby Hooper, you know, to do Gremlins, then I feel like it would be completely different and probably wouldn't be a classic today. I think we all know that Spielberg would not have chosen Toby Hooper to direct another movie. <laughs> well, if he wanted to do it himself but not put his name on it. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Oh, <laughs> Poor Toby Hooper. God rest his soul. All right, so there are some controversies. Okay. Right. So since its release, the film has been criticized as being culturally insensitive, with Jonathan Rosenbaum arguing that the film compares gremlins to African-Americans and ceramic uncles and celluloid mammies. What an interesting title for a book. Patricia Turner writes that the gremlins reflect negative African-American stereotypes in their dress and behavior. They're shown devouring fried chicken with their hands, listening to black music, breakdancing and wearing sunglasses after dark and newsboy caps, a style common among African-American males in the 1980s. I don't get that at all. I see it. Um, I mean, after she's like pulled it all out, like I can see that. Yes. Once it's like told to me, then yeah, I I get it. But I I didn't ever make that connection in my mind at all. As far as I'm aware, certainly not consciously, you know, maybe there's also been decades and decades since then culturally. And I don't, yeah, because we don't really know when this book was published, you know. I mean, having it spelled out for you, yeah, I, I I see it, you know. But I've seen this movie so many times, and I never once thought that it was targeting African-American people in a negative way. I would say throughout my life, I've seen it maybe targeting Asian culture in a negative way, 
More so. Yeah, that seemed like the Fu Manchu type of situation. It kind right. of borderlines with that. There's like a trope called like the magical Negro or whatever, right. where it's like you go to like a Native American, you go to a, a black guy, you go to an Asian guy or whatever, or, or a woman, and they know what's up as far as like third world mythologies and magic and things like that and blah, 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 or they are magical themselves. And that's a trope, right? And this can be problematic, especially like Fu Manchu and all that. It's like kind of racist stuff preying upon the worst of the stereotypes to create a villain or something else and it's not even listed like if you go to tv tropes i don't believe it's even listed on this because it kind of sidesteps that in a, in a variety of ways yeah where he's more of a caretaker that just knows how and is responsible versus anything else right how he came across this thing and how he owns it like he does mention that thing about western culture not being able not being ready i feel like that's more of a statement on western culture than it is eastern culture or anything else although i have to say it's fairly compelling to talk about things like silent racism or internalized racism or internal biases and how we can create caricatures in horror movies or anything else that prey upon other people's silent racism and internal biases to create fear or to accept things more quickly because they fit into these little boxes or categories. And so this really is compelling to me and is interesting to me. And I feel like maybe in some way it's true. I don't believe personally that Joe Dante or Chris Columbus did this intentionally. No. Maybe utilizing pieces or of their own internal, internal biases. But it's so layered in that you would have to have someone writing a book about it or someone critiquing it to really see it, you know, unless you're really looking for it on the outset. Like I don't see this as an active problem in the film. I don't either. And maybe it's because, because I'm not a racist person. You know what I mean? And I don't really think in terms of stereotypes. And so when I see a bunch of small creatures eating fried chicken with their hands, the first thing that pops into my mind isn't about African-American people. It's about, I I want fried chicken. (laughs) It's about little cute monsters eating fried chicken. You know, I mean, I didn't even remember them eating fried chicken. They could have been like, there was also deleted scenes where they're eating other things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I don't know about that, you know? And I think a lot of these things like breakdancing and that the music and stuff like that was just really popular in the eighties period. You know what I mean? I, I didn't even see anything like really out there black culture. No. In the Gremlins, I just didn't see it. You know, maybe it's like some side. I don't know. I, I maybe some of our listeners are a little bit more well spoken, especially people like Nikki. Yeah, you know, who could speak more to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and give their take. But yeah, because it's really not our place to do that. No. So no, but I can. We can appreciate it and respect other people's perspectives, obviously. Because like, I, I, I feel like if you spell it all out like that, yeah, and like cherry pick all these different things, then you know, I, I, I feel like it's easy to see. But when it's played out in a story, in a narrative, and it's everything's kind of incidental, like I didn't see those things. But maybe it is preying upon some of our, you know, internal biases or, or categories for better or worse to, yeah. you know, help us understand what's happening on the screen better. I don't know. But yeah, help us out, listeners. I will say, I mean, like there's a couple gags that reflect negatively on Asian culture. I feel like he says like dragon breath and there's a gong in the background. Oh, you know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, and I then <laughs> the score itself is, I love the score. I think it's great. Well, Jerry Goldsmith. Of course. Yes. The gremlin rag is just amazing. <laughs> I listen to it all the time, but 
at its core, it sounds a little Asian, you know? And so, I mean, like... I don't recall that either, but I'll, I'll have it playing when I edit this episode, so we'll see. <laughs> or maybe that's just me. It also doesn't know. help that the first person to fucking die in this movie is black. That's true. And he's, like, the most visibly dead and clearly has been injured, you know what I mean? Everyone else is sort of comedic, but he's dead but they also kind of annoyingly but like blessedly like uh, like sidestep that trope because they make him a point like the most knowledgeable person outside of the the asian guy they actually make him the most knowledgeable person in the movie right he goes to him for help because he is such a learned person yeah. he is a teacher of science right and so it's it's like incidental that he's the first guy to die i don't want to really like i don't want to maybe that's the microcosm of western science versus like eastern mythology or whatever it doesn't understand it but to make that person like the patrons of those be like a black guy and an asian guy is a little weird but i don't i don't know where to put that in my feelings you know what i mean like i yeah. i feel like it's so incidental like I'd, I'd rather have the inclusion of like the the learned science person in the film be a person of color. I th- I, th- I like that. I don't like that's the first person to die. So there's like a give and take there that doesn't necessarily have to happen. But well, and like his, I said, I don't know where to put my feelings. His death is really about revenge, right? And whereas everyone else who dies in the movie is, is kind of experimenting is comedy, what? right? We have a he like experimented on the Mogwai and it killed him in the same way. Essentially, you know what I mean. So it's the only time in this movie that well, he didn't though. He just took its blood, right? Is yeah, but else he did? that Mogwai actively hated that. Yeah, you know, and so like, but so do small children. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but everyone else in the movie is just killed because like this is the only pointed time that somebody was killed by a gremlin. Yeah, for a reason. So I don't know how problematic is it. There's there should be a scale. You know, I mean, who know that we'd be talking about this and you know conjunction with gremlins i didn't even think about any of the stuff really until i did notice that in the movie that he was the first one to die yeah you know but um outside of all the other stuff like all that stuff i, I wouldn't have really thought of or or you know until i started deconstructing the film and reading what other critics had said about it it'd be interesting to, i haven't seen gremlins 2 in a long time so i would kind of wonder if we'll notice some things now that we've brought it up no so do you have any fun facts for me yes i do oh my god <laughs> Some of you, these you may know already. So we'll see. The first one, we'll start on easy. We'll just dip our toes in. So in Cantonese, Magwai means devil or demon or gremlin. And the Mandarin pronunciation is Mogui. Mogui? I did not know that. (laughs) But why? I mean, like, the Magwai is not a devil or a demon. It's nice. Well, I think it's it's the Western culture that calls them gremlins, right? They're all, the race is called Magwai, according to the story, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Devils in the details. <laughs> the Mogwai's in the details. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for my second one, uh, one of the studio notes to director Joe Dante and producer uh, Steven Spielberg on seeing the first cut from the, you know, the production companies mm-hmm. was there were too many gremlins. So uh, Spielberg passive aggressively suggested cutting them all out and calling the movie people. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll just cut them all out and just call the movie People. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious, Steven. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I would have gone to see a movie called People. So. Humans. <laughs> you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, That's funny. So for my third one, the special effects relied mainly on puppetry because of an earlier attempt to use monkeys was abandoned because the test monkey panicked when made to wear a gremlin head. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> they put a gremlin in on a monkey? Yeah. Oh, my. That's so... How in the world did they think they were even going to get by with that? I don't know. I guess they had trained monkeys, but they, they couldn't wear prosthetics. <laughs> they could have just found little people. <laughs> Okay. There's no way to do this without like pissing off like some sort of large group. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so puppets was just the only way to go. And the more practical way. Come on. Okay. So from an next one, the film's script went through a few drafts before shooting script was finalized. The first version was much darker than the final film. Various scenes were cut, including one which portrayed Billy's mother dying in her struggle with the gremlins with her head thrown down the stairs when Billy arrives. Oh, Dante later explained that the scene made the film darker than the filmmakers wanted. I don't know. I kind of want that. Like the, the, I like that she wins. I like that she kind of goes into this frenzy of killing them. I almost wanted it to be a little bit more manic, you know, to get it to that next level of like camp. But, you know, to have it end with her head plopping down the stairs and falling at his feet would have just like been a little next level dark even for this movie. I... Because she's a likable character. She is a likable character. But after she defeats all those gremlins, she's barely in the movie anymore. He drops her off at a doctor's house and that's it. She can hold her own. I would rather have seen her at Billy's side for most of the movie. You know what I mean? There are ways to fix it, obviously. But I'm okay with things being dark. Clearly, this is a horror podcast. There's also a lot of dry humor in this, speaking of the mother, right? Because like, I love that scene where she's like watching the sad movie or whatever. You know, um, I think it's... From Exorcist 3, right? Like That's a wonderful life. It's <laughs> a wonderful life. Uh, wonderful mm-hmm. with two L's. Um, and uh, she's literally cutting onions. <laughs> and her son's like, what's wrong? She's like, oh, it's the, it's the movie, you know, or whatever. And it's just like, really? Like, it was so dry. And there's a couple other dry moments in the, in the film, too, that, like, you'd have to, like, you can enjoy it on multiple levels. I mean, anytime that she's dealing with one of those Like, the kids wouldn't have noticed that. The kids no. wouldn't, Yeah. So there's also a scene where the gremlins ate Billy's dog. Shit. And a scene where the gremlins attacked a McDonald's eating customers instead of burgers. I mean, I love these. That would have been great. Uh, Yeah, I'm totally down for that. Maybe not the dog. Wearing little McDonald's uniforms and like (laughs) serving like hands in a fry box or something. Like little fingers on a... That would have been great. They go out of their way to really showcase the Burger King in that town though. So I mean like... They should have done something with that restaurant like this. I don't know. I just, there's so, the possibilities I are mean, legion. Yeah. <laughs> Give me an R rated gremlins, please. Cause those gremlins just are, are obsessed with like getting into costume. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And one's in drag. <laughs> <laughs> <I mean. laughs> they have to have the little uniforms are on. And I feel like they're all like kind of perfectly tailored. So there's, there's gotta be some sort of like costumer or tailoring gremlin in the back. Like, so, like, <laughs> That's right. How did they find clothes that fit them like that? <laughs> So many questions. Also, instead of Stripe being a mogwai who becomes a gremlin, there was originally no mogwai named Stripe. Rather, Gizmo was supposed to transform into Stripe the gremlin. Spielberg overruled this plot element as he felt Gizmo was cute and that audiences wanted him to be present throughout the film. He's right. Yeah. I like So it was going to be a lot darker. Just a lot. (laughs) I mean, that's that may be where I draw the line. Yeah. I I like that's where you draw the line. That's where I draw the line. Do not turn Gizmo into a gremlin. He's. Super cute. All right. So for my last one, the film mentions an urban legend in which Kate reveals in a speech that her father died at Christmas when he dressed as Santa Claus and broke his neck when climbing down the family's chimney. After the film was completed, studio executives insisted upon its removal because they felt it was too ambiguous as to whether it was supposed to be funny or sad. 
Yes. Dante refused to take the scene out, saying it represented the film as a whole, which had a combination of horrific and comedic elements. Spielberg didn't like the scene, but despite his creative control, he viewed Gremlins as Dante's project and allowed him to leave it in. A parody of the scene is also featured in Gremlins Do the New Batch. This is a different holiday, but it's almost <laughs> the same speech. It's funny as shit. Uh, look at Spielberg growing and changing as a producer and letting people make their own movies. Well, it's also another example of a dry humor because on the screen he's taking it super seriously, but like you want to laugh, but you don't you're not sure if it's okay to laugh because no one on the screen is laughing and I will say, when I was younger, I always found it to be very sad. Yeah. And the older that I get so and watch fucking Gremlins, absurd. <laughs> it's silly, you know? Just Phoebe Cates' delivery in that monologue is kind of silly. You know what I mean? It, That's it's, how I found out Santa wasn't real. <laughs> no. She's <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> say you hate Washington's birthday or something and no one bats an eye, but say you hate Christmas and they treat you like a leper. <laughs> I mean, like, she clearly is having some, like, holiday depression, you know? But... <clears throat> Anyway, I, I kind of laugh at that scene now, and it's probably bad. <laughs> well, you're supposed to. But I it was do. written to laugh at, but yeah. they don't give you permission to do it. So it's like there's a few things like I would like turn or twist or, you know, uh, adjust in some ways to make it okay in some of these more drier scenes or darker scenes to laugh, mm-hmm. you know. But overall, as a full package, I would say like it's it's it is the way it is, you know, and it's enjoyable and a classic for that reason. It's true. All right. Well, those are really fun. And um, since we're already talking about how we would fix a movie, let's talk about some questions. So, is Gremlins a horror movie? Yeah. It's, there's some adjacency there, obviously, because, you know, always you have to talk about adjacency when it comes to horror comedies. But it was intentionally made to be a horror comedy as that was kind of getting more and more in vogue in the early 80s. Oh, yeah. It was all over the place. Yeah. So I would say yes. I mean, it's a big year for horror comedy, too, if you have Ghostbusters in there as oh, well. Yeah. It's so. under the umbrella. Yeah, I would agree. Were you scared watching Gremlins? No. I mean, I may have been when I was younger, but I think it wasn't Gremlins 2 when I was younger because there was a big fucking spider gremlin. I was uh, like 10 or 11 by the time Gremlins 2 came out. So, I mean, it, I had seen some very scary things by then, but I don't, I don't remember being scared as a kid watching Gremlins. I was more scared of shit like never ending story scared the shit out of me when I was younger. <laughs> Nihilism. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that fucking Gamork, you know, but Gremlins, no. Oh, yeah. So that thing is still terrifying. Are you kidding yes. me? We're going to have to do our gateway horror episode sometime. For sure. Yeah. Because I do want to talk about that movie. Uh, Out of five stars, what would you rate Gremlins? I gave it a four. Okay. I gave it four and a half. Okay. I really, really like Gremlins. It's it's in my top ten horror movies. It's probably in my top ten movies of all time. I really, really enjoy the show of Gremlins. Like I said, it was the first movie I saw in the theater, a horror movie as a kid, you know? So many fond memories, but... And I watch it every single year, so I just I can't get enough of it. Yeah, I mean, if it's, you're always going to see things through nostalgia lens and you yeah. know things like that, and it's a comfort blanket, <clears throat> you know. But knowing that you can, it's important to you, and ratings are subjective for that reason. It's true, know? and I feel like I did a good job this episode of not like waving my nostalgia boner around. If so. I was still doing halves, I might rate this a three and a half. Oh, but. Uh, because there's just so many things throughout the film where I would adjust some levers of okay. bump the comedy there, bump the darkness there, make this a little bit less frictiony, you know, like pump that story aspect or whatever, just to make it a little bit more of a cohesive, solid whole um, and more consistent all the way through. 
but those are really nitpicks, right? And I'm not doing halves anymore. And this deserves, based on its classic status, any month that I enjoy it, to be a four. So, And I don't know what is keeping me from giving it that half star higher to make it a five star movie. Because you know it's not perfect. Because it's not perfect. Not that your five star is perfect. No, you know, I mean, when, yeah, there's there's probably some, there is no some reason. I, I think that there have been times in my life that I would have rated this five stars. There's a lot of questions, right? Yeah. We, we talked about a bunch of them, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of things that, you know, who knows what hit the editing floor that you would have loved to make it hit that extra 0.5 if they had been a little bit braver, if they'd made it a few yeah. years after that or whatever. You know, if they could so. have just intentionally made a PG-13 movie instead of having to wait three months after it was released for that even to be invented, you know? I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's it. I think I just want it to be a little darker and a little, a little less comedic, but yeah. that's fine. And that was adjusted in the editing room because they did shoot those sequences. Can you imagine how expensive that goddamn McDonald's sequence must have been if they had actually shot that? I mean, yes. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so finally, who's the hottest guy in Gremlins? Well, obviously, that is Zach Galligan for me. I am going with Jed Reinhold on this one. I think he's cute. Just kind of douchey. Oh, the the guy, the co-worker of the bank or whatever, the yeah. douche, douche canoe? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I don't like that. I, I liked Zach Galligan as Billy Peltzer, the main character. Because he's so all-American. So like, dreamy. Hero. Yeah. He does. He's kind of dreamy, but not as dreamy as Judge Reinhold. He has cable. It took me aback. I clutched my pearls when I realized just how clear his skin was. I don't know. <laughs> and I sound like a serial killer. Like, I'm going to, like... <laughs> like use it to make something <laughs> suit calm yourself buffalo bill rubs the lotion on his skin <laughs> billy Zach. <laughs> put it in a fucking basket <laughs> well i think that just about wraps up our conversation on gremlins as always we'd like to know what you think about this christmas classic you can find us on social media at the film flamers on facebook instagram or twitter you can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or you can call us at 972-666-7733. Don't let us in your bright light because we want to get wet and we'll feed you after midnight. You can feed me after midnight. Maybe you can feed me after midnight. Quit. <laughs> 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 I can't even keep a straight face anymore when we do this. <laughs> so, uh, next week, like we already mentioned, we are going to be covering Gremlins 2 The New Batch, so stick around for that. But we have a poll over on Patreon for our bonus episode this month where our patrons will be picking from a wide variety of 1980s tiny creature features. That's right. So far, the gate is winning. But we also have like critters on there and a number of others. So, Ghoulies. yes, the pit. It's another classic movie. So, if you want to change that and have something else win, all you have to do is go to Patreon.com/slash/TheFilmFlamers, join the family, and vote in that poll, and get the hours and hours of bonus content that we have available for you. Well, Chris, I think it's time to uh, head off and get wet. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that people want me to multiply they want lots of roberts running around yeah but not gremlin versions i don't know i mean i eat after midnight all the time so i'm pretty sure i'd be hilarious as a gremlin <laughs>
That's what a little fucking gremlins running around saying mayhaps. <laughs> Asking people who the hottest guy in a certain movie is. Mayhaps. <laughs> mayhaps. <laughs> All right, let's go have some sweet dreams. Why do they say caca so much? Caca. Caca. He's like phone cord. Caca. Caca <laughs> mouth. Do they just come out of the cocoon? Out of the cocoa milk cocoon? Cocoon. Cocoa milk cocoon. Cocoa milk cocoon caca. And they just know all these words. That's what I I just want to do everything with gremlins, like remake the Exorcist, but with gremlins. <laughs> See the little gremlin, like with the little nightdress on or whatever, in bed going, Lick me, lick me. <laughs> See, Joe Dante can have a much longer career. He didn't even notice. Remake the Exorcist, Dante, with, with gremlins. gremlins. <laughs> <laughs>